Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Fuck. What the hell is this? I don't know what number this is. Uh, wait a second. Um, hello? Hello? Is anyone there? Do you accept a reverse charge call from Tottenham Prison? It's Flav. Yeah, of, of, um, of course I do. It's, it's Flav, but Tottenham Prison, I, I'm pretty goddamn uh, damn worried about that. But yeah, I'll accept the call. Brilliant. Hello? Hi, uh, mate. I, I'm, I'm in a bit of a bad way. Flav, what's going on, man? It's Tottenham Prison. I don't understand this. I'm worried about you. We're about to do a podcast. Embezzlement. I've been up with embezzlement. Um, a dodgy Ponzi scheme involving uh, League 2 footballers Flav that seems very unlike you you were pals with a beast you went to his school Matt there's a bloke called Tyrone in here he wants me to help him smuggle in bacon <laughs> bacon <laughs> well I, I, I do whatever you need to do just to stay safe I guess oh, mate I help Tyrone I need a lawyer you got that Daniel G coming on yeah he's, he's a lawyer he can help me out Flav he's a, he's a football lawyer um I know that you like football, but he's embezzlement. I'm not sure he can help you with that. I think you need a, probably a criminal lawyer for something like that. So I'm stuck with Tyrone, eh? He's a, he's a bacon fanatic. <laughs> I'm not sure. What, what kind of bacon? Oh, just sort it out, Matt. All right, okay. Well, look, I've, Daniel Gee's going to be here any minute now, so I, I'll ask him. Is there anything else you right. want me to ask him, like... You know, uh, um, I mean, should we ask him about what he can push over a crossbar, the animal type of thing? Uh, I don't know, I don't know. Just bring, if he can't help me, bring bring a nail file. Come visit me, bring a nail file. A nail, nail file. file, mate. All right, well, I'm worried about you, Flav. I've, Just... I've got to go, Tyrone's winking at me. Bye. <laughs> Shit. The long Hello and welcome to the Long Ball Street Podcast. I'm Flav and today I'm here with my co-host as ever, Matt. Mate, I used to be the star, why now the co-host? That joke's it? gone a bit old and flat now, unfortunately. Right. That's just co-host. Yeah, just co-host. Back right. to co-host. Is that all right? Or you well, can, I you can, feel slightly gonna... deflated now, you know? <laughs> That's a good way to start the podcast. <laughs> what, yeah. what does that make me if you're co-host and you're the well, you're you're guest at best? Guest, yeah. That's what you are. Well, guest is Our esteemed guest. Esteemed guest. That's, that's fair, isn't it? Daniel G, Thank specialist you. in sports law, partner for Sheridan Sport Group. You're involved in the legal aspects of football, transfers, football clubs getting bought out. Image rights, general advice, I'd imagine. 
Is that all fair? To be honest, the, the, the most impressive thing is you pronounce my surname right. Like, oh. my dad will be so delighted. Every time I appear on wherever, whichever channel it may be, they always say Daniel Gee. And they, literally, my dad says, right, I'm writing in. I'm telling him how to pronounce your surname. So yeah. I'm, you're, you're, in, you're in easy now. Well, you see, you see on the on the running order here, Daniel, um, I put G here because I did the exact Amazing. same thing. It, um, it is a tough one, but I remember um, back in the day, I, I was at TalkSport for about 10 years. And we'd, we'd done this deal with EA Sports. And part of it, we, we got the guy from EA spots to come on the radio and uh, he was a bit nervous about it we were like don't worry it'll be fine they know you come in they know you know you're a partner they'll, they'll take it really easy with you and he was super nervous and on the thing where they caught there they actually announced it like right join his life it's called dan holman the, the ea sports uk brand manager yeah and they're like right join his live on yeah it's don holman the uh, uk branch manager this is like hi killed him killed him daniel i've always been curious um uh, what's the biggest animal you can throw over a crossbar biggest a cat a cat that's yeah. not very big i'm not very strong okay fair enough it's honest right what do you reckon what that i personally could do I think I'd fancy a sheep. I think because I think if you got it into that kind of area and you stood up, you could probably summon a bit it's of not, a... It's not a sheep that doesn't move. It'll be flipping around. You, That'd you be difficult. So one of the guys in our team, Johnny, name check out to him. Johnny goes to the gym most days. I, He's that, I think he could. I think he could do a cow. No way. No, I'd love to see a it. A calf, at least. A calf. If we can do it in a way that's completely humane and, and won't hurt the animal. Legal, anyway. maybe legal would probably be a good <laughs> Yeah, let's let's get. We'd get need Johnny to on. sign a waiver, wouldn't we? We'll get it on YouTube, we'll see what we can do. Yeah, Johnny. That's, that's hits, that's numbers. They're in the, the numbers <laughs> yeah. game. Uh, Finally, the numbers game. So, no, no but it, uh, seriously, the um, your, your role in, in football specifically, well, can you tell us a I just, first of all, like, is that a northern accent that I detect there? Scouse. Scouse accent. I can't hear it at all. Can you not hear it's that? It's northerners amongst you. you can it is, we know. We sniff know. each other out. The north <laughs> remembers. So, uh, and you, who do you support then? Yeah, Liverpool. So I um, uh, moved only to London about 10, 11 years ago. But before okay. that, I was in Manchester Uni. Bit tricky, yeah. Um, but mm. basically, grew up in uh, in South Liverpool. Season ticket holder, still season ticket holder. Oh, really? And you know, being have to say to some just incredible games throughout my life, like being uh, without wanting to sound really trite about it at Istanbul. I've been in Athens. I've been to most of the Cardiff and Wembley finals. Right. You know, said quarter final against Dortmund last year, which literally it's such a shame to say was my second game of the season. But it's right. not a bad game. To I don't against. remember any of those games. Don't Good. You? It's probably pretty important. This is the Dortmund that smashed up Tottenham to bits, and they, yeah. this is my team Spurs. And then they struggled yeah. when Klopp got hold of them. But so, so what? You so you used to go quite a lot, but it's harder to get up there now. It's family, family yeah. weekends. But also, to be fair, with all the work that I do, a lot of the time it's weekends and um, evenings can be going to see players chatting to the agents going to games um, you know meeting other games people. other games actually right, so okay. um, that's the tricky aspect of all it's just balancing everything mm. when it's originally you know when football is your passion and mm. that's the way you try and justify getting into doing it's your job when suddenly it becomes your job um, it's easy to get apathetic about it it's like this is what I do now what yeah. do I actually do with my time off yeah, um, well, it's the same for us. It is tough, though, yeah, but when you live down here, because I'm obviously I'm a Huddersfield Town fan, you'll know that. No. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? That's a valid thing to wait to. He always gets Again, mad at me whenever I... Sing- have you, how are you going to squeeze Huddersfield into every single episode? We must have recorded 17 hours so far, maybe 18, and it's been mentioned <laughs> at least 18 <laughs> times. Can I say Andy no Booth more. was the guy that I picked every time in Championship Manager 2, oh. and he, he would score a ton for me. Andy Booth, the, the best ever town player. Well, his parents actually worked on the turnstiles at Huddersfield, so he came through the youth team, So, and it actually took 
refused the opportunity to play for Bradford, took pay cuts to stay with Huddersfield. I'm so that, I'm, yeah, complete legend. Fair enough. But no, I was just saying, getting all the way up to go to a game like I want to go see Huddersfield Barnsley on Saturday, but it's five and a half hours drive and that's if nothing goes wrong yeah. and then there's the match so it's tough getting up there for these games so, so Daniel you're, you're, you work in football as we've, we've established and obviously your law background can you just get it in a nutshell what do I do yeah so that people listening can get an idea about what it is you of course do. so generally I mean I work in wider sports stuff as well but primarily most of my work is in football and generally it's threefold one is um, I work on club takeover work so buyers and sellers of football clubs we can talk about the second thing, um, uh, which merges into the first and third next thing, is I work with agents and players. Right. So uh, helping with transfers, renegotiations, things like image rights that we'll talk about, disputes is the big thing as well. Um, and then from everything from there, it's compliance. It sounds terribly uh, boring. Compliance yeah. with all of football's rules. There's Premier League rules, there's FA rules, there's Football League rules. See, from, from a rules. fan's perspective, you, rules isn't, doesn't seem like anyone pays any attention to them. And if they do, like everyone gets away with whatever they want anyway. I mean, we'll come into that with financial fair play and, and, um, and other bits and pieces. But I think the most interesting thing, apart from for me and, and for, for foot fans of football, is the, the player transfers. Mm. So, what, what... I mean, one of fans' major gripes is why these things take so long. Yeah. Like, you, the, the, the running joke on Twitter at the moment is, announce X player. Yeah. Um, but what is it? Is it clubs haggling over price? Or this, is it more... If you, the way I try and see it, and it's worked out in my head a lot of the time, is I almost feel like a transfer is about 17 cogs working at different speeds in different directions. So if you can imagine there's a big cog, there might be two big cogs, which are the clubs. Then there's agents which are linked into that. And those agents may be involved club side or player side. Um, those clubs may not just be speaking to that agent about that particular player. There may be four players that they're talking to at the same time. What, those, as a part of a chain of deals? As a part of a chain of deals. Or, okay. they're, or they're just not hedging their, they're hedging their bets that if one deal doesn't go off or they're not happy with the terms or the fee or the um, loyalty bonuses or whatever else it may be, they've got alternatives in case that happens. So if a club's trying to sign a striker, you mean that if they uh, they might not get the right price, the right salary, the right image rights, yep. that they'll have got a couple of these other things yeah, lined I mean, up? Yeah, there'll obviously be a list um, and they'll prioritise, but the worst thing you, you don't want as a cl- on club side is to be caught short quite close to deadline day or even not necessarily close to deadline day where you think you've got a deal and that player goes somewhere else because they've been you know, um, effectively playing off against another club and mm. then you've got to be far enough down that process with another player to, to so, go through that. So yeah. currently Arsenal fans are actually like losing their minds currently because in, from their perspective, Arsenal are not going after anyone. They're not spending the money but you'd think that the realistic aspect to that um, situation would be that Arsenal are actually looking at a number, juggling a number of plates. Would you say? I'm positive they are. You know, Arsenal are pretty um, atypical club of um, not really commenting, not putting too much out in the press as much as other teams do generally for lots of different reasons. And you know, Arsene Wenger for being there for so long, and this isn't my experience. I haven't dealt too much with Arsenal. Um, is um, you know, he can. He controls in a good way a lot what is going on. Uh, he has a very big say in most of the running of um, the football side of the club, whereas in other um, clubs, sometimes managers hold a bit more power, sometimes directors of football hold more power, mm. sometimes the scouts will, um, and it will sometimes be driven by other factors like you know Liverpool's the fame transfer committee and everything that comes with that. So mm. each club 
has its own little different nuances. Um, there's always things going on behind the scenes with the clubs. Whether they, whether those transfers come off, you know, is, is a completely different matter. Mm. So when you're saying that they're in these 17 cogs, um, and you're saying that the, the, the two clubs with the two big cogs, and then there's obviously the agent mm. of the player, and it might be an agent for the club. Mm. How does? Um, can you just explain to us how how these two agents would exist, and and kind of what their um, uh, instructions would yeah, be yeah. from each party in order to get something done? So a lot of the time, um, buying clubs we'll actually not necessarily negotiate directly with um, the selling club. So right. if we take, for example, um, obviously a lot of people hear about the English or British premium that's attached to, attached to transfers at the moment because broadcasting rights are so high that leads into other moments. We'll talk about broadcasting rights later. Yeah. Um, one reason to effectively engage an agent on the club side when buying a player is you hope that that agent will actually agree um, a fee, a transfer fee, effectively, or start that process without obviously giving away um, the the buying club potentially to that selling team. And if they can get somewhere down the line of keeping that transfer valuation lower, mm. that obviously helps that buying club in being able to then put in place a package. And obviously, bear in mind, this isn't just a transfer fee. This isn't just a signing on fee for the player. This isn't just the wage. This isn't just the image rights. And these are all these other cogs that move yeah. all at the same time. Yeah. Mm. Trying to keep that price low from a club side agent is very important. And obviously you have the player agent that's trying to put his client out to the widest um, audience possible and club audience. Yeah. And those two agents then will then combine to go, actually, this club works at this price with this type of deal and this is how we're going to get across the line. So there's lots of criticism about agents, but by the sounds of that, they seem crucial in, in the workings of... Are they, are they crucial or are they hindrance or, or are they both? Absolutely essential, yeah. in, in my view and in my experience. They will um, be the battering rams for deals sometimes. They will happily take the flack from clubs um, and they uh, can, on occasion, make some um, very good money. But, I mean, the life of an agent, I wouldn't... I wouldn't wish it on anybody, and this is me acting for a lot mm. of agents. It's t it's terribly, terribly difficult. You have to be, you, you have to have the thicker skin. Yeah. You have to accept disappointment because only probably about two percent of your work actually comes off. Yeah. You have the ultimate problem of a player leaving you because you can only have a maximum of two year playing contract, uh, two year representation contracts with the player. Right. So, you, so they can't stay the entire career. No. Well, you can keep re-signing them. Right. But the maximum length of any one contract. Right. So there's. there's you know, you're a year and a half the way through with a player that you've had since you were 16, since he was 16, for example. He's on the cusp of moving to a Champions League club, for example. Yeah. Another agent may, uh, through uh, good means or otherwise, um, yeah. speak to him and say, your current agent, he's done bugger all for you. He can't get you the next big deal. I yeah. can. Hold on the next six months and sign up with me. While I can see the benefit in having short-term contracts for, for agents and players, doesn't that then force agents' hands to act before... Before the best interests of the player are taken into account. So, if you've only got six months, but you know the best thing for this player is to sign a new contract in a year's time, I guess that, that's also. I suppose there's no perfect system. No, and th there is a duty. Uh, so, there is a duty effectively to make sure that you're acting in the um, uh, player's best interests at all times. So, mm. that's the point. And there's actually a f what's called in legal terms a fiduciary duty. So, you always have to be able to act in the best interests of the player. But at the same time, it can be tricky when you have competing interests. Yeah. And it, it's never a straight line discussion where you say, is it in the best interest of the player to sign this contract now? Other times it would be, 
the club want is putting inserting pressure to do certain things. Sometimes the player will want to sign a new contract and go against the advice of the agent anyway. So it's never the agent in a vacuum, basically, if, mm. that, if that makes sense. Yeah. It must be very difficult to... Um, um, not to involve in a, not to get involved in a conflict of interest, and it must be very difficult to actually just completely operate with your players' uh, interests at heart. Mm. But equally, it feels like it's very difficult to prove any of that stuff as well. Mm. The, Are there enough checks and balances in, in place? So we'll talk. We can talk about this in length. But the, the about the a, agents aren't called agents anymore; they're called intermediaries, which is just awkward for all concerned, basically. But regardless of that, I still call agents because it's still agents. Um, but there are rules which guard against conflicts of interest. Right. So generally, although it doesn't really happen in too many other spheres, um, a, an agent can act for a player and a club at the same time. At the same time. But what has to happen, it has to have sign-off from the player, and that information and those documents have to be disclosed to the Football Association as right. part of the deal as well. Right. So that provides the transparency. Now, if you're asking me, every time that happens is a player intimately involved and intimately understanding what is going on, I think the probable answer is no. But at the same time, the player, in my mind, is more concerned about getting the right contract, getting the right deal, mm. um, and it working out best for all concerned. This, mm. this leads into the kind of deregulation of, of mm. agents, doesn't it? Mm. Because you think, from, from what I've heard since starting this podcast and working at Ball Street, I found, I found out a lot about how players are treated and... Um, sometimes how they're manipulated um, sort of deregulation meant essentially anyone can represent the player regardless they don't necessarily have background or pass tests or, or, or be uh, you know be tested in any way so does, does that mean does that mean that the, the players could quite easily be poorly advised because I'm even listening to this and some of what you're saying it's, it is confusing mm. And I've had I'm I've kind of educated up to degree level. Not that that means anything now, but players are kind of going into the game at 16 without much education, and then there's a lot of people giving them advice. So a lot of people talking to them in a way that probably they don't understand. And I would have thought that the deregulation of agents would make that worse, much worse. Yeah, there's, there are loads of things to consider here. But if we break it down, maybe into two things. The one is, can for example now um, a sister, brother, mother, father of a pretty talented player. Mm. start representing the player and doing the deal the simple answer is yes no um, test needed um, no indemnity insurance needed which is sometimes quite important yeah. um, <laughs> if things go wrong um, well you think it's crucial with that much money no understanding of the real regulations because there's no mm. test in other words so um, and the way that some will see it is it's an easy way to get a nice uh, commission based on their son's uh, or niece nephews whatever it may be mm. brothers brothers um, first couple of deals and this is almost where the value add of established agents that know what they're doing really comes to the fore because if an agent is firstly just renegotiating a playing contract let's just say a 17 or 18 year old renegotiating a contract with the club he's at Mm. um, that agent if he is new to the game almost certainly won't know what all the other players at that team or across those teams in that particular league um, all those players are on yeah. So he's more or less putting a finger in there and going, yeah. this looks like quite a good figure. Maybe we'll negotiate hard. Uh, maybe we will, maybe we won't. And at the end, they might come out with a decent deal that they think. Six months down the line, the player's in the dressing room going, look at my five grand that I got a week. <clears throat> and everyone's going, idiot, we're all on 10, yeah. 12. Who knows if that's the case or not? Yeah, yeah but you can imagine it happening. Yeah. Correct. And so that's, that's the first thing. The, the much uh, bigger value add that I think established agents, um, and this will only come sometimes with 
practice now or experience of these new guys coming in that may not have the same experience as the old guys um, is having that fantastic network of clubs. Mm. So it's not necessarily just the clubs in sense of knowing who to phone. It's really the ones that are in the power in each position to know to phone. So is it, exactly you were saying, the tech director? Is it the manager? Is it the chairman? Yeah. Is it the chief exec that does this? Yeah. Who has the actual mandate at the clubs to actually make things happen? Yeah. And do they want to take their call? Yeah. It's, it's all of those things. So at a, on a move particularly, it is very, very difficult if you're not established and had good experience in the industry to be able to firstly um, have the full case of clubs to possibly be able to approach and do and then do the deal right. So there's yeah. almost you know numerous parts of that. Unless the players lighten it up that much that everybody's kind of would be beating down their door to kind of get hold of them. Correct, uh, but even then, they may not be actually getting full value. Yeah. So, you uh, you know, you you can't second guess and you can only do it once you've been in industry for a while. It's almost Um, a bit like Dr. Evil sitting there and going, one million dollars, but and thinking it's a big number, but actually everyone's laughing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) One million dollars. Yeah, all right, cool. We'll sign that off. Can I I ask, what? can you reveal any players in the past, any transfers that you've been involved with? Or is that just... Definitely not. not. Really? (laughs) No, so, I mean, um, what... uh, what most lawyers will hopefully tell you is, uh, they may say differently, is that you know we act for um, a lot of different players across sports, but also mainly in football, and a lot of Premier League players, a lot of Championship players, a lot of Champions League players um, on some of their transfers. And it just depends on usually the agents instructing us on those deals. Right. So, but it, 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 we, we can we can get we can assume that it's some Champions League players, Premier League players, that kind of level. Yeah. Okay. And it's so it's, it's ultimately the agents that bring you into it so they're saying this is a deal that we're working on or this is someone so we need you to take care of xy or check out this that's been provided to us by the club exactly so i'm i'm not doing any agency activity otherwise i'd actually have to be registered as an agent but Mm. what i'm helping in the background is if there's bonus clauses if there's relegation release clauses if there are uplifts if certain goals are hit key performance indicators i will make sure that whatever has been agreed between the parties um is drafted appropriately based on the instruction of the the agent and that's one part Image rights and all that type of stuff is probably another part. Okay. We can talk about just to because uh, I was thinking, this, I quite like. Um, by nature, I'm just quite disruptive, um, and I like to think about disruptive things that kind of change the way things are done already. And you know, one of the uh, the business that we sell with Ball Street is kind of based on some of those premises and the fact that um, celebrities or, or people that have kind of don't need the media anymore that you can build up this this uh, a big audience. Mm. Um, because you've kind of um, because you've got shared passions and you're able to build it up on Twitter, Facebook, and then kind of utilize that audience yourself and and get things done without needing to go to a newspaper or a TV channel in order to kind of reach people. Um, so one of the things that I've always been thinking is first I'm a big UFC fan, uh, and for a while I've been looking at UFC and thinking there needs to be a fighters union in that. Mm. And that's kind of starting to happen. Um, and you're starting to see people like Conor McGregor fight a kind of create his own media company mm. rather than just seeing all these places talking about him every single day and building up big audiences. Um, I'm getting to a point. So one of the things I was also thinking was that you could have a scenario in football. At the moment, all these players, they all work with agents or super agents who then speak to the clubs. And potentially they're not... Because what I kind of, when I look at, at football agents and that, that traditional media world, you see that they're kind of operating a little bit in the past. And that they're maybe not, maybe a lot of them, the phone rings rather than they're kind of creating opportunities mm. for their for their clients mm. and um, 
um, their the, the wage from football is one element of their kind of earning potential. Yep. Could you see a scenario whereby um, a bunch of players could actually get together, they could all put their uh, IP in the middle, their contracts in the middle, and that they'd actually be able to employ a team of people and create a uh, their own agency mm. that would represent their interests on a salary basis rather than this whole thing with the commissions uh, where they don't necessarily have full sight on everything. It's a, it's a really interesting one. So what you would what you'd be saying is players getting together, they, they would still need that agency support in lots of different ways, either doing it for transfers or their endorsement deals yeah. or their ambassadorial stuff. Um, but what I'm saying is they could actually build their own team and therefore be kind of create. Because one of the problems that you have with, with footballers is that once their playing career is over, mm-hmm. then that main source of income goes, as does kind of probably their entire balance to their universe. Yeah. Um, and they're still 30 years old, 35 years old, and actually they've only lived a small part of their lives. Yeah. Um, so this is a way of them to kind of create long-term value, I guess. So the, it's interesting you say that. So we work with a great company um, called Integrity Club, and they look after a lot of, lots of players and lots of athletes, and part of their actual process is um, uh, non-playing contract side of things. So they look after them day-to-day, um, sourcing commercial deals, building their brands, their right. social presence, all of that type of stuff. And traditionally, I guess in the last five or six years, that's become more mainstream. Mm. Whereas agents typically and traditionally had always been with deal makers, we're the ones that will get the employment um, contracts, we'll get the transfers done. Yeah. But now with this you know, celebrity culture, mm. more than just a celebrity culture in sport and specifically in football, you've got football stars that probably now um, are um, receiving, you know, in some cases, more than their annual salaries by way of endorsement. Mm. Wow. Um, and that obviously huge amounts yeah. especially you know you look at someone like David Beckham or Ronaldo yeah. Neymar Messi and these type of guys they're always on huge salaries yeah. but their brand and their brand persona is such and has been created and maintained so well this isn't them doing it this is their teams yeah. this may be their agents or it may be outsourced companies yeah. that are uh, brand uh, brand ambassadors mm. Firstly, their own brand, but also obviously for other brands to leverage off that, um, yeah. their own personality. Yeah. So in a way, if I'm answering it in a short way, it's, it's probably one iteration before your idea. Yeah. But in the same way, it's certainly, it's certainly getting towards that level, yeah. I think. Okay, interesting. Um, so obviously broadcasting rights. Have you had any involved in, in that level of, the, of you know, the Premier League negotiating rights with the syndication? Yeah, so what, we, what, what I've done previously is worked with a number of uh, broadcasters around the world where they have been purchasing um, Champions League and Premier League rights. So not necessarily Sky and BT, but other, for other jurisdictions. Um, and you can sort of intimately see how the, 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 the tender process works um, you know where effectively you are having uh, multiple broadcasters bidding for the ability to have the exclusive rights to um, to, to the Premier League live matches in particular countries. So where do you see that? If that's a revenue stream, it's huge, gigantic. Is it the big? Is it, uh, do clubs earn more money now from uh, from the the sale of Premier League of the rights of TV than they do say the gate receipts? Leases. Yeah, I mean, for for the vast vast majority of Premier League clubs. Um, the, the 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 largest segment of commercial revenue comes in the form of broadcasting. Okay, revenue. so that's why I thought it would be. So in that case, doesn't 
as if with any business, their attention should be on pleasing that area of their business. Mm. And then the match they go and fan becomes less important to the mm. club. Definitely. At the same time, that's always countered by the belief that a lot of guys have, cynically or otherwise, that if you don't have full stadia, if you don't have that authenticity of supporter actually in the stadium cheering the the atmosphere, the crowd, yeah, it damages. It the, damages. Yeah, yeah it very much. Well, there's been there's been talk. I saw something where they were projecting the future of um, of, of how the game would go, and, and that you'd get to a, a situation where overseas market would be worth so much that they'd actually almost be giving away free tickets to the matches in order to fill it out in order to create that theatre for yeah. those that are watching the faraway land well, yeah, so, that, so that ultimately could be a positive thing but t- ticket prices seemingly although in the last year there has been a kind of swell of change but seemingly just keep going up yeah. they're greedy aren't they though clubs are greedy if they will take the money we'll, we'll... I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Will they? Will they? And and so this is the this is the query, isn't it? Is um, you know some clubs are better doing it than others, um, but generally um, clubs need to balance that revenue generation from broadcasting rights. Um, but obviously the lucrative gate receipts that can be made from it as well. You know, Liverpool had issues last season um, with the prices for the new state for the new stand, for example. Mm. Um, you know, uh, some clubs now are freezing ticket prices. There's the um, there's the Premier League um, uh, campaign now for away ticket prices to be capped, which is obviously in place That's now. Right, yeah. I saw Southampton have done something where it's even going to be reduced to twenty pounds for away uh, games, as of which, Arsenal is, as well. which is great. So um, you know. They're all the positive messages that sometimes get lost in the noise. Mm-hmm. The general, the general perspective on all this, which is the, the the main impact, is you know how does it actually feed into the feed down to the clubs? And from this season on, the sort of calculations are pretty staggering. So, mm-hmm. you know, the the relegated club, the twentieth placed club, is probably going to earn in the region of one hundred million pounds for finishing bottom, wow. and the top playing club is probably in the one hundred fifty. Uh, that, that's crazy, but actually, it's it's actually the, probably the fairest. League in terms of distribution of TV rights in Europe, but certainly better than Spain, which is have, have a horrendous system of Barcelona and Real Madrid taking eighty percent, I think, of the TV deal. But 
I mean, if it does lead to a fairer league, mm. because more people can spend more money, mm. i.e. you kind of don't have that kind of elite that can over- outspend everyone else, if financial fair play is a real thing, which we can come on to. But what I'm most interested in thing is this, if there's so much money coming in from the syndication of Premier League football, that um, or the, the TV rights, that actually they're interested in creating a brand that's about noisy stadiums. So Spurs, my club, will eventually say, well... We're going to do what we can to ensure we have the loudest ground in the league, and which will help us our brand uh, appeal to overseas fans. We're going to do that by making affordable tickets. That seems like a logical step that might happen, mm. rather than my entire life I've experienced just ticket prices going up, uh, working class fans being forced out of the game, um, and passion dwindling. But mm. hopefully, there's a change now, and, 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 and instead of more money coming to the game being a bad thing, it might mean positive change. Because there's also another wider point which maybe fits into the FFP point, which is, you know, over the last couple of years, what we're actually seeing is clubs make prop- making profit for the first time mm. in years. The 13-14 season was when there was a cumulative profit for the first time in, I think, over 15 years for Premier League clubs. Yes. And in part, that was a lot to do with, obviously, the broadcasting rights increase, but also it's almost a bottom, top-down and bottom-up approach. The bottom-up approach is cost control and FFP. Yeah. It's like if you can't spend everything and more on player transfers, on player wages, uh, what do you actually do? Well, yeah. if you can't do that, then you actually make profit. Yeah. And um, if that profit can then be reinvested in lots of different ways, it may be reinvested in player transfers um, and wages, but it can be invest- reinvested in lots of other things, infrastructure, yeah. subsidising ticket prices, um, being able to do positive things in the community, which the Premier League does, by the way, of quite course, a lot. Yeah. Um, all of those add to, I think, pretty positive change. All right, let's go on to financial fair play and we'll, we'll come back to it, right? the financial <laughs> fair play. And, uh, and then we'll come back to um, the... The, the sale of football clubs because yeah, yeah, yeah. we want to buy a club anyway. Yeah, well, we've got, how, we much, got po- how much pocket money do you have? We'll talk about that. Well, yeah, we've got enough right. for legal fees. That's <laughs> yeah, well, we'll talk about that as well. Yeah, we need uh, to be uh, the day rate. Actually, what? Yeah, do pro bono work? <laughs> how, how, for us? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't have to say yes. We won't hold you to Can it. I just say no? <laughs> <laughs> the podcast will end very quickly. Uh, uh, so, yeah, just like I tell you where I am at, and I think where most fans are at with financial fair play. One, we. You kind of in, in the, the top level of the game, you see kind of it being flouted to a certain degree by Man City, Chelsea, but specifically by PSG, who were fined. Um, and there was threats of them being kicked out of the Champions League, which never materialised. And we saw Man City kind of using clever ways of inject, injecting huge amounts of money through the deal with Etihad. Mm-hmm. I may be wrong about that that sort of stuff. But that's my understanding. Yeah, of it. that's mine too. But it could be wrong. But yeah, yeah. Um, so that's as fans, that's how we see it. But the other, the other issue, and I guess this is a separate thing, but it's, it doesn't actually seem that fair mm. for smaller clubs. Mm. So how do... Uh, we got Cal upstairs. He's been on the podcast a couple of times. He supports Southend. He's proudly a lower league fan. Fine he, to mention that, though, Southend, isn't it? You bring that up like every other podcast, but, but I can't mention it on this field. Yeah, Carry on, Flav. Just pointing out that this is wrong. You're right, I'm sorry. The, uh, the Southend... Uh, Lost your flow now. Yeah, I have. I was right in the middle of it. Uh, South End. Um, yeah, so, so, they're, so they're, they're in a position where their revenue won't allow them to spend enough to get into that championship. They can't even get a rich benefactor to come in and just spunk loads of money onto mm-hmm. it, onto onto their success. So how is this fair at all? Or does it not just establish an elite and keep them there? Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'll put it out cards on the table, I am a relatively... Um, big exponent of the benefits of FFP. It's definitely not perfect, far from perfect, yeah. but 
Um, let me start where my rationale is, basically, which is this. It's interesting you started at the end with there's no rich benefactor to come in and do. And the reason why I think that's an important starting point for fans is I think fans over the years have seen too many um, false dawns, mm -hmm. sure. too many rich benefactors that aren't that rich, um, too many leveraging of club debt, too much um, insolvency, administration and worse. Um, and I think UEFA at first had um, a pretty uh, benevolent, pretty idealistic view on how to do things. Now, how do you actually um, convert that into a policy? Uh, it was very, very difficult. But in the end, their idea was, um, let's try and ensure that clubs don't spend more than they earn, mm. which seems to me like a relatively straightforward process, and especially in football for decades, where you've had clubs spending more than they earn. Simple as that. It, it, I, I love the evolution from um, more towards a sustainability mm. than, um, I don't know what you'd call that, just chaos, yep. I'm guessing, which is what it was. You know, people kind of, what happened with Leeds, <laughs> where they were signing and doing all this stuff, and then actually they were 60 million in debt. We had mm. Michael Jubri on a really interesting podcast talking about some of that stuff uh, recently. Um, so I understand that. But given that some of these clubs have got huge and I know it's difficult especially when it's 92 different teams yep. and there's flux between that and some play in Europe and some don't yep. and some move from the championship to the Premier League etc but surely if you're doing something like that that NFL model about having a salary cap mm. that everyone in the leagues you know working to makes it fairer than so I understand that sustainability comes from saying well look you're only allowed to spend a certain amount of your turnover mm. that makes sense but that's then not necessarily sort of an even playing ground is it because if you if, if Huddersfield get promoted to the Premier League our turnover is this and United mm. is this so it should almost be a what would be kind of seem fairer to me is if it was right each team's got for example 100 million to pay on salary every year as yep. a maximum and then in the championship it's this and in the so actually that's actually almost the way how it works that is how to it be works fair. but there's just, take it all back then. it's alright no, <laughs> well, no, there's not a salary cap there is to a degree Really, and people probably aren't that aware. It's not really called a salary cap, but actually it works like that in practice. There's, and if I very briefly take you through the tiers, and then we go back to the salary cap. Sure, so, sure, yeah. UEFA um, rules, very very basically, um, are that now a club, with a few exceptions, can't spend more than thirty million euros over what they um, receive in terms of revenues over a three year period. Right. So ten million a year basically is what they they can't they can't spend over. And that's to play in European, European club competition. Comp correct, so Euro, um, Europa League, Champions League. Right, okay. So that's the first one. Yep. If we then go the step down, which is Premier League, uh, the Premier League has uh, two sets of rules. One is called, um, they don't like calling it financial fair play for the reason that I can see there's, fairness doesn't quite have anything to do with it to, yeah, to a degree. Yeah. So they call it two things. They call it... Um, UFP, unfair <laughs> They call it the profitability and sustainability provisions. Um, which basically says that okay. a club is able to spend up to £105 million pounds on whatever they want over what they um, have, so long as the owner or the benefactor, whatever it is, puts that money, most of that money, into a bank account or by way of guarantee. So a guarantor, yeah. Correct. And the reason for that is if they then enter into really onerous contracts that are beyond the means of the club, mm. that money is available to pay for those contracts right. and not to get into the leads. Okay. Right. Sorry, so just so I understand that, you're, they have a, there's a, they can spend over yep. up to £105 million. Yep, over a three-year period, basically, that's monitored over. 
which is which is why we're seeing everyone spend uh, why that that figure has been floated around uh, it hasn't been floated around that much to be fair and to, to be honest in order to actually understand that figure it's important to understand this annoying concept say annoying concept concept called a transfer amortization Right. And we can talk about that another time. Oh, yeah. But the, the very basics are: is that if you, I love how you've qualified that your audience isn't capable. Yeah. So it's incapable. Right. Do this another years. time, lads. I don't want to. Very briefly, what it means is if, let's say, um, United spend ninety million on Pogba, yep. that doesn't mean that for a particular season United only have another fifteen million to be able to spend. Because what happens is that amount, that ninety million, gets divided by the number of years of its contract, and each year that gets amortised so that specific and it's a bit like yeah. how you can offset expenses on your P&L against what's the opposite where it um, depreciation depreciation yeah similar to that exactly alright or, or similar, similar. brilliant or similar. Yeah. So, what does P&L mean yeah profit, profit and loss alright cheers so remember this is we're talking to Barnsley fans here <laughs> Tottenham fans well, we are talking to Barnsley plumbers, fans. <laughs> plumbers. people who work behind a bar Good. Well, we're educating them in a good way, hopefully. So that is so that's Premier League. But the yeah. other point is just very, very briefly. You know, we can go back to what we need to afterwards. Is um, then there is what's called short-term cost control, and short-term cost control is basically a salary cap, which says you can't spend more than seven million pounds on wages than you previously did in the season before. This is a blanket across all teams, across or? all Premier League teams, regardless of what they they make. Correct. Okay, that's with, interesting. So why is it going on? With lot, a few conditions placed on it, but that's the, yeah. the basic condition. Is it related to what we've just said? Because I want to propose a new system, a better one. It, it was related to that. Go I was then, just saying that it's obviously, though, because some clubs are in the UEFA and then some clubs are in the Premier League yes. and then some clubs might have just gone dropped from the Premier League into the Championship. Yeah. So it feels that it's then taking... Um, it's then creating a lot of work for the likes Perfect. of yourself or financial people in order to help these things all fit together. Exactly. So what the Premier League and the Championship have done recently, which is, uh, which is, I think, to be applauded, is they have a set of rules for um, Championship clubs and Premier League clubs. So if they're yo-yo clubs, yeah. um, there are different financial tests depending on if they're in the Championship for one year and right. the Premier League for two years, Championship for two years, Premier League for one year, um, and that makes a more joined-up approach. Right. But usually... And it's pretty much the case that if a Premier League team is complying with UEFA regulations, because they have to because they're in the Champions League, Europa League, they would almost certainly always comply with the Premier League regulations because the Premier League regs are wider. Yeah. They give more scope than UEFA. The, the thing is here, and before you present this new um, it's gonna fix thing football, yeah. that's going to fix football, is that it, it feels... Uh, you know, and I'm always sceptical. Like, it feels that these things sound great in theory. Um, However, it feels like a lot of the smaller clubs are going to be at a massive disadvantage because the people like United, people like City that have got experts sitting around, that have got offices in London, that are able to kind of bring in uh, the biggest players in the game the best financial brains the best lawyers the people that can find the ways to kind of manipulate yeah. the system in order to tick the boxes yet still you know um, buy a player that actually to everyone else to the naked eye it looks like they can't afford it feels <laughs> like it kind of still favours people that have got all this kind of these skills at their, at their you know so, 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 don't so, even have enough ball boys sometimes. yeah it's, it's almost like so I remember when um 
and this is very different, but you remember when we're going into uh, the whole Blair, the whole war, the Iraq war, and we're talking about the fact, have they got these chemical weapons? And what we're doing is the, the West were imposing sanctions, essentially, by saying, you need to kind of respond to the, all this legal paperwork that our our sea of lawyers have created for you and then they're probably sending it to some guy that's sitting in a little <laughs> little cave in Iraq going well what the hell I don't understand this no I'm qualified to do this and then to everyone else it looks like actually well you, you've not um, done what you're supposed to do via this legal process mm. that we're in control of so it kind of although you know some of the spirit of what you're saying sounds great it feels like it's kind of complicated kind of very difficult to manage and and therefore yeah, to benefit in the, the haves it's the bureaucracy I guess yeah, so are you are you saying for smaller Premier League clubs? Are you saying smaller clubs in League One, League Two, for example, well, for I, Championship? Because I think everybody. I'm, so, I'm in- saying smaller Premier League clubs, but obviously, um, you know, Huddersfield could get promoted. Somebody could yep. get could get promoted. Could kind of yep. progress, and and that's quite to scale. Yeah. Your that own kind of, yeah. um, resources would be challenging yep. at that speed. Yeah, yeah, totally, and. Um, you know, I think it's fair to say that most Premier League clubs have um, have got some very good people. Now, may, mainly all have in-house lawyers, um, got pretty, very, very competent chief execs, FDs. When you look further down the leagues, it's the Championship, League One and Two, obviously, it, mm. it, you know, the resource um, changes for yeah. obvious reasons because the budgets aren't there. And that's why there are different rules in League One and League Two, yeah. for example, called the Salary Cost Management Protocols, which is base, more basic, and that actually covers then the need for different types of levels of resource the higher up the leagues you go, basically. Yeah, okay. So what, is there ever likely going to be a place where the more money you have, the tighter the restrictions are on how you can spend? So in order for <laughs> Hull to compete with Man United, there needs to be a restriction on Man United's ability to throw money at uh, achieving success so they can spend 80% of their revenue as opposed to uh, sorry what is it 70% on players wages to use the most basic form yep. that's what financial firm play says isn't it 70% of your turnover so in the lower leagues that's the case but in the upper leagues there is n- you can effectively spend um, uh, within a certain amount of basically your revenue and profit generation okay so in, in, in terms of a fairer game is it possible in is it legally possible to prevent United, City, Tottenham, Liverpool from spending, from restricting their spend power on player wages so that smaller clubs can compete? Well, to a degree, that's what's already been done. Really? Um, through um, the salary, through the short-term cost control and being able to, to spend a certain amount more than what you did the year before. So really, there's loads of... What you're saying is there's lots of fans screaming and, and moaning about the state of football, but they were, but ultimately, for no fault of their own and no fault of mine, mm. I, the, the it's very difficult for us to understand what you're saying yeah. without having the ability to talk to someone or someone you, like you come into our pod. It's, it's, I mean, it's taken me years to really fully try to get to grips with everything because it's, it's, not, it's, it's not easy at all. But on the, on the flip side, the really good thing is, I think, I mean, it would be way to see on a, a longer trend, but you know, with FFP, with the idea of reduced spending or at least being able to other smaller clubs compete, you know, Leicester is no doubt the outlier in all of this. There's no doubt about that. But when you're seeing teams like Tottenham being able to actually put together a good couple of seasons, and more than just a good couple of seasons now, mm-hmm. when you're seeing teams like West Ham actually deliver, um, there are more established um, teams week in, week out that I think are being able to challenge the so-called elite. That might be nothing to do with FFP. It may be everything to do with actually being clever in how they are recruiting or spending their money accordingly. But I think it's no doubt a factor that 
um, you know, on any given Saturday or Sunday now. It, it's not a surprise anymore when a team in the bottom half of the league beats a team in the top yeah, half of the league. I, I think actually, I, I, again, like going back to my point, is that I, I was always scared of the amount of money coming to the game, but there's no doubt that we have a fairer, fairer league than we have ever done, probably. Mm. Certainly since the formation of the Premier League. Um, so are you saying then, as someone you, who knows, that there are people at the top of the game that are concerned with the health of it and are working to ensure that we have a a fair and healthy league to Look, compete I think in. All of the incentives in my mind line up, which is um, there's no doubt that a greater competitive balance or competitive balance in terms of greater equality of arms, i.e., lots of teams we have to spend a lot of money on getting the best type of players, creates a better product. <clears throat> the more competitive the league, as you've just seen with Barca and Real over a long period of time, and Atletico to a lesser extent, the greater the competition between the league, the um, the more chance of uncertainty and upset and people want to watch the underdog excel mm. but in the end what they also want is their established team that they probably support to take the league in different ways and that is effective if you have competitive balance mixed with uncertainty which then leads to um, greater popularity of product which then leads to greater commercial opportunity more people tuning in and that becomes the vicious cycle in a good way, a good vision. Virtuous right. circle, that's right. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, so we've got a choice between two subjects, and we can, we can get you back. And what I'm also interested in is the people listening to the podcast who have an understanding may be able to ask you more challenging questions sure. than, than we can. So if you have any questions, remember to uh, tweet us at Long Ball Street. I'm not saying including you in that, Matt. Maybe you have loads <laughs> of really strong questions, but I'm, I don't. Um, do you want to talk about Brexit and that impact on, on football, um, or do you want to talk about the... Uh, the sale of, uh, of I think the sale club. of football clubs is a bit more interesting because right. there are lots of people there that kind of like you say hope for that benefactor um, or people that have that have had that what appears to be uh, all their prayers getting answered when some rich guy mm. rolls up doing kick ups on the pitch and kind of telling everyone he's always supported the team mm. and then they turn out to be a clam and maybe a few weeks later they're, they're changing your, your nickname your club shirt's gone from blue to red uh, etc so um how do um, if you could tell us maybe how quickly how club takeovers happen? Um, you know that would be interesting. I think the anatomy of a takeover, perhaps. Um, okay. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> it's it can work in so many different ways because um, a lot will depend on the existing um, the existing owner slash owners. Um, sometimes there'll just be one historical owner. Sometimes yeah. there might be tons of shareholders. Yeah. Um, that obviously has a really big impact because if you have to deal with lots and lots of shareholders as a buyer... There's lots of process that you need to get done in order to, to get the permission to sell that. Correct, thing and it may well be. I mean, because I, ideally what you want as a buyer is you want control of the club. Right. You don't want to have minority stake. You don't want to even have 50% because under corporate regulations and company regulations what you want to be able to do is make special resolutions and to make special resolutions which is basically be able to do anything you want for the club because it's your club that you effectively own um, you need to be able to have 75% of the voting rights of the club so that's just one aspect yeah you want to have more than 75% you want to have the whole thing exactly so from an efficiency perspective obviously um, to have fewer selling shareholders is better because then you have to deal with possibly a lot of other um, lawyers, which is never a good thing. Yeah. Um, but then the other side is probably, which is probably the most important and sometimes uh, inexact science, is valuation. Yeah. Um, is that always done independently? 
Well, there's... Or is it just a case of Flav wants to sell something, I want to buy it, we just figure out a price between us? Almost almost always there will be um, accountants um, involved, um, perhaps, um, ex- well, accountants and lawyers involved at a very early stage because what the buyers will have to look at very quickly, and usually what happens is called due diligence, mm. and sometimes there'll be a data room where all of the club documentation will be put in a virtual place. Right, so they um, can And that everyone can check. So... You don't know if you own the stadium, if you own the training ground, mm. what restrictions you have, um, if there are big loans, overdrafts, outstanding. It all goes towards the valuation of the, uh, the okay. valuation of the club. Should we ask a question about Rangers? Because there was yeah, that really. Are you, are you aware of the Rangers situation lately? Yeah. So, so somehow Ashley has engineered it so that he owns the trading rights on tit shirts and the club badge for the next seven years mm. because he had the seven-year notice period. How's anyone allowed that to happen? So that someone who isn't actually connected to the club anymore still... I mean, is, is he just... Yeah. Has genius or there's just... Don't know. <laughs> oh, you yeah. don't know. Don't know is the answer, I'm afraid. Yeah. So the... the um, but even, even before that, right? Cause, uh, and I think Rangers is a really good example. Um, because they were a club who had been obviously a dominant team for, for many years. You know, a storied rivalry with Celtic. Um, and then all of a sudden... Um, this guy Craig White comes involved and sort of takes ownership of the club. Now, what are the checks and balances in place um, for that? Because f- from where I'm looking at with uh, with Rangers, obviously I'm, I'm impartial, um, but they they got taken over by this guy who appeared to be a very rich guy who's making all these noises, saying all these things. Everybody seemed fooled, and then all of a sudden it found out that there was lots of. Um, irregularities in, in some of the financial ways that things have been done at the club which landed them in trouble with the SFA or the SPL and then sanctions were taken against the club um, which was then relegated down to the bottom of the league, they went, went into administration, this guy turns out to be a complete fraud from what, from what I can gather yeah. and players come and go from clubs as they did, managers come and go from clubs as they did owners of clubs come and go the one constant thing is really the fans mm. you know and that's what we're always interested in um, but they're the ones that are left to then carry the mm. can so how the hell is that allowed to happen to the stage where like Flav said they're now in a position where the club doesn't have rights to its badge it doesn't have rights to sell its own merchandise and it's making four pence a shirt and the fans are the ones that are sitting there dealing with this you know it's not right is it no, and there's there's definitely a wider point here, which is um, what used to be the fit and pro- called the fit and proper persons test, which mm-hmm. is now called the owners and directors test, right? Um, which is basically the same thing, right. and it's been strengthened a lot over the years. So to give you a very basic overview, now what has to happen is any for any takeover of a club, it's different in Scotland to be fair, right? Um, but for Premier League and the same for the Football League clubs as well, um, is um, they all incoming owners have to sign this quite long declaration. Right. More or less says the following, can't be a criminal, can't have a criminal record, can't be an insolvent, can't be insolvent with a variety of clubs, can't be a band being a director um, oh. in the UK or else in the world, can't have a sporting ban, can't be on the sex offenders register, mm. um, all of these types of... Um, prohibitions yeah. and this gets signed prior to takeover and gets signed by every director of a football club each year um, but isn't it easy for them just not to dis- not disclose that stuff yeah. so, hide yes but it will almost certainly get found out it will I, I believe so because um, 
because not only will the Premier League look into particular things as they have done in the past, mm. they you know there's no reason why they can't hire pretty good forensic companies to be able to look into this. But there is so much fan um, um, ownership's the wrong word, but fan interest that everybody researches into the backgrounds mm. of everybody that's an owner, especially of their club. And you know if there's dirty laundry, it comes up pretty quickly. And the the other point that's, that that probably gets brushed across, um, under the carpet is if a director of a club issues a false declaration mm. the, and this isn't necessarily great sometimes it hasn't happened yet but the club could actually get dot points or be suspended from the league yeah. oh. that's the type of pretty and big well, that's and, and the fans suffer happen, once again yeah. Yeah. yeah and then the director would have to resign or clarify his position otherwise the club's in, in serious trouble well that's kind of what happened with Rangers I think really mm. Interest. Well, I think that unfortunately we've got to uh, uh, we've got to call it a day there, haven't we? Oh fam? no, it's such a shame. Sorry, I haven't bored you to death too much. No, we I, I, just to say, look, you know, thank you. I think that it's, it's been a real treat, really, for our listeners and for us to kind of get this this perspective. I yeah. think that there's definitely we'd love to have you on again. Um, I think that um, um, yeah, if you'll come on, I think that we could probably dig a lot deeper into transfers and, and, yeah. and image rights I think it's a really interesting one yeah. for next time so yeah. Um, yeah thank you very much pleasure thanks uh, for getting me on are you on Twitter or anything like that you want to say yeah page? so I'm football law basically football law yeah football law I got, I got a in bold, a Twitter a long a time ago around, I yeah, football, football law the law yeah. I am football I am the law yeah. <laughs> um, it's like Judge Dredd of football basically <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's not bad uh, so yeah thank you for listening um, if you uh, like what you hear make sure you subscribe uh, give a five star rating leave a review follow um, us at, at Long Ball Street yeah we've got a new Twitter account obviously there's at Ball Street but at Long Ball Street is a way to speak to us about the pod we've got Snapchat um, we're on Snapchat as well I don't know what the name is on that flap but, oh. but it, I got, I'm getting fan mail we need to do a periscope one time that's what we need to do yeah. well we could definitely do that we, we could, could arrange, we, do could, that. We, I mean, arrange we should that. do some sort of pe- huge kind of periscope we'll get uh, your, your friends of Adam Osprey yeah, yeah. who, who, who works in um, financial advisor for footballers yeah. um, we know agents yeah so we could get it all in this kind of melting pot of football knowledge and break down and what just a giant is. periscope or just a few one huge periscope alright thank you so much yeah Matt see you at the far post see you at the far post imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.